Volume Two, Chapter Five of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter Five. Elsie accepts of a new situation. When Dr. Phillips had asked Elsie a great number of questions on all sorts of subjects, that seemed but remotely connected with the cough that she was so alarmed about, had sounded her chest, had gone through the several forms of examination. "'Now,' said she, "'Doctor, tell me the truth. I am not at all afraid to hear it. I have no dread of death. Indeed, I rather desire it than otherwise.' "'I am sorry to hear it, my dear girl, for I do not see any chance of it. There is nothing organic the matter with you.' nothing whatever, only a nervous affection that a little care will overcome. You have been overworked and underfed. You have been out of doors only in the early morning and the late evening, and have scarcely seen the sun for months. You have had a great deal on your spirits and been exceedingly dull. You have missed your excellent sister, and I do not wonder at it. It would have been a miracle if you could have kept your health this unkindly spring with all these drawbacks. But you have nothing whatever alarming in your case." "'My dear Miss Melville,' continued he, turning to Jane, "'I assure you that your sister only wants what she has come to England to obtain—change, cheerful society, sunshine, and generous diet—to restore her to perfect health.' Elsie gave one sigh at this verdict. "'Do not think me ungrateful, Dr. Phillips. I should be thankful to be restored to health. But life has been so hard for me lately that I felt almost glad to think that— without any fault of my own, God was going to take me away, and that Jane would join me by and by, when her work was done. She is fit for the work she has got to do, and I appear to be so unfit for it. I suppose we ought to love life. It is a sign that one is out of health when one does not, said Dr. Phillips. Your depression of spirits is more physical than mental, but then it reacts upon your health. You used to be cheerful before you left that place. What do you call it, where my old friend Hogarth brought you up? "'Yes, quite cheerful,' said Elsie. "'But things have gone very differently with me since.' "'Well, you must regain your old spirits, if possible, and in the meantime get on your bonnet and have a little drive with me, while Miss Melville is busy with her pupils. If you won't mind a few stoppages, we will have a pleasant round, through as pretty a part of the country as England can boast of.' Jane asked privately for Dr. Phillips's opinion, being sure that he gave Elsie his brightest view of her case. There is nothing positively wrong with her at present, Miss Melville, but she has got into such a low tone of health that she needs care. She must never return to such a life as she has lately had. She must have a lighter employment, more open air, and better food. It is so difficult, said Jane, to get employment. I am sure there are a thousand chances against my finding such an excellent situation as I have with Mrs. Phillips. And a thousand chances against their meeting with such an excellent governess and housekeeper— the pleasure is mutual, I am sure. I must see what your sister is fit for when she is a little stronger. Both Elsie and Jane saw at once that Mr. Brandon was disposed to take Elsie's rejection as a final decision, and that he would have no difficulty in transferring his attentions, if not his affections, to Miss Harriet Phillips. Elsie felt that she could not have been much admired or loved, when he could so soon attach himself to a woman so very different from herself. Here it certainly might be love without any mixture of pity. He made himself very agreeable, and Miss Harriet was not so much flattered as gratified. All his homage was received by her as her due. There were no quick flushes of pleasure or surprise at any little mark of kindness or attention. 
no disclaiming of any compliment which was paid her as exaggerated or undeserved. The smile of perfect self-complacency sat on her face, and gave ease to her every action and every speech. She never hesitated in giving her opinion. She never qualified or withdrew it when given. She knew herself to be perfectly well-informed and perfectly well-bred. She felt herself to be Mr. Brandon's superior in every point, in natural ability, in education, in acquired manner, in social position, and, of course, in moral character also, for she had no faith in the goodness of the other sex. She saw many of their faults, and guessed at many more, and she did not see or understand their virtues, and Brandon made no pretense to being particularly good, and spoke slightingly of her favourite clergyman, who was rather too high church in his notions to please the latitudinarian ideas of an Australian bushman. Her connection with the country Stanleys gave her a prestige that Mr. Brandon could never have, for his family were only middle-class people, not at all intellectual or aristocratic. Her brother was astonished to see how much more Georgiana and Harriet spoke of their relations by the mother's side, who had never done anything for them, than those good uncles and aunts, Phillipses, who had invited them for the holidays, and given them toys and books without number. But all his laughing at his sisters could not alter their views, and his own wife sided with the ladies, and was very proud of her husband's aristocratic name and relations, though she had none of her own. Though in all these respects Harriet Phillips was so much Mr. Brandon's superior, she was disposed to accept of him when he asked her, as he was sure to do. It was so difficult for her to meet with her equal, either social, intellectual, or moral, and a husband, even though an Australian, began to be looked upon as a desirable thing at her time of life. And though Brandon was not fascinated by her, though he was not interested in her, though he felt no thrill in touching her hand, no exquisite delight in listening to her voice or her singing, he began to feel that this was to be his fate, and that the quiet, pale girl who had refused him would not make so suitable a wife for him as Harriet Phillips, after all. He was somewhat astonished, however, when he heard from this last-named lady, about a week after Elsie Melville's arrival, that her sister-in-law had engaged her services as a lady's maid. A lady's maid was what Mrs. Phillips had long desired to have, and now, when she saw Elsie's excellent taste, both in dressmaking and millinery, she thought that with a few lessons in hairdressing she might suit her very nicely, and it would be quite a boon to the poor girl, whom Dr. Phillips had forbidden to return to her situation in Edinburgh. Mr. Phillips, though he thought that a lady's maid was rather beyond his circumstances and his wife's sphere, hoped such good things from her associating constantly with two such women as Jane and Elsie Melville, that he readily gave his consent. Elsie as readily agreed to serve in this inferior capacity. The pleasure of being near her sister was not to be refused on account of being so far subordinated to her. She was deeply impressed with her own inferiority, and fell into her place at once. Harriet Phillips could not help a slight sneer at her sister-in-law's assumption in this new step towards gentility, but as she was going to London with the family, she had no doubt that Elsie would be glad to be of service to her too, as she appeared to be very good-natured, and willing to oblige a family who had been so very kind to her sister and herself. There were so many things that were secured for Elsie by this arrangement, which were imperatively necessary for her health, that Jane submitted to it as the best possible under the circumstances, though she feared that Mrs. Phillips would show Elsie the caprice and bad temper which she dared not show to herself. And in this she was not mistaken, for Elsie was so yielding and so diffident, that her new mistress exercised a great deal of real tyranny over her, varied by fitful acts of liberality and kindness. Peggy Walker opened her eyes very wide when she heard of both the young ladies, 
whom she had been accustomed to look up to, being dependent in this way on Mrs. Phillips, whom she had always looked down upon. But she knew that the sisters were together, and that that was a happiness to both that outweighed many other drawbacks. She herself was very much engrossed with the care of grandfather, who, as well as Elsie, had felt the ungenial spring very trying, and who did not seem to rally as the season advanced. So she was thankful that Elsie was otherwise bestowed than in her house of sickness. Dr. Phillips had the satisfaction of seeing a considerable improvement in Elsie before she left Derbyshire, and used to have her company in his morning drives to visit his patients, when her pleasant conversation and winning manner made him ere long prefer her to her graver and less pliant sister. He missed both the girls when they went to London, and even Dr. Vivian paid Jane the compliment of regretting her society a little for a week. End of chapter 5